Content versus Context by Graham Brown from the book, The Human Communication Playbook. You're listening to Be More Human. When we extrapolate logic and emotion into the world of communication, it manifests as two different entities, content and context. Now, I sound like I'm a highfalutin professor now, so let me back this up a little bit. Take Pepsi. We all know Pepsi. And for years, Pepsi believed it was a better tasting cola than Coke. And to prove the point, marketers at Pepsi invented the Pepsi Challenge. And what the Pepsi Challenge was, was a test, a blind taste test, which was often staged for the cameras. But they would go into supermarkets, into grocery stores, and they would set up this booth and the actor behind the booth would say to the shopper, who is also usually another actor, um, two colas, I'd like you to try cola A and cola B, and these were unbranded, and tell me which was the better tasting cola. Now, in almost all cases, especially the ones that were revealed in advertising, the better tasting cola happened to be Pepsi. Now, I've actually tried this tasted Pepsi and tasted Coke. And pretty much around the world, Pepsi and Coke maintain their same tastes. And what I found is Pepsi tasted slightly sweeter. And I can imagine why people think it's better. Obviously, some people prefer Coke. Some people prefer Pepsi. But on average, people prefer Pepsi. That's the reality world over. I say prefer the taste of Pepsi, which is key here, because in some countries, Pepsi sells better, but in most countries, Coke sells better. So why is it that Pepsi tastes better, but Coke sells better? It doesn't make sense, because at the end of the day, you're just drinking a soda, right? Wrong. And that is the key to understanding communication in business content versus context. And once you start poking inside the head of your audience, which, you know, would be difficult in any kind of presentation situation. So I've done that for your benefit. I've taken a screwdriver and taken the skull off your audience and looked inside their brain. Or neuropsychologists have been doing this for years. And what they found was that they repeated the Pepsi challenge. And what they did was they gave their subjects, often students, to unbranded colas. And they said, drink cola A and drink cola B. And they found that, consistent with the Pepsi challenge, Pepsi actually tasted better. But then they said, hang on a second. What if, hypothesis time, what if we did this, but instead of giving them the unbranded colas, then what we're going to give them is the branded colas. So we're actually going to say to them, taste Pepsi and taste Coke. And let's see how that changes anything. Lo and behold, they ran the test. And they, instead of giving them the blind taste test, they gave them the branded colas. And guess what happened? It's the same cola. Nothing's changed. But the respondents reported that they preferred the taste of Coke over Pepsi by a factor of four to one. 
think about that. That knowing the brand has actually changed the neurophysiological experience of that taste in their brain. How? Because what has happened is it actually has made it taste better. It's a phenomenon that you can see throughout marketing. You know, why is it that when subjects drink wine out of an expensive glass, it tastes better than out of a plastic cup? And the same reason when food is served on a plastic tray on a dish, it tastes less or worse than served on nice china. Now, you may say, oh, it doesn't affect me, but this is all around us. And the point being that story shapes our experience at the fundamental, physical, neuropsychological level of our brain. Those neurons firing fire in a different way as a result of the story told about products, plans, ideas, startups, change, anything. And the mistake that many engineers and product managers and technologists and data scientists and startup founders and everybody, even the guy sitting there trying to get recruited for that job or the CEO trying to recruit talent for his startup, the mistake we all make is thinking it's about the ingredients. Because what is Pepsi and Coke but simply fizzy water, caramel, some caffeine, that's about it. Don't forget the sugar. You know, if you look at the origins of those two products, Pepsi and Coke, as a kid at school, I'm sure you would be aware of those sort of mythical stories about Coke being related to cocaine. It's absolutely true. The original Coke came from the cola nut and the coca leaf, both stimulants. Coca leaf, obviously, the, from which cocaine is derived. But no more, obviously. It's not allowed. And Pepsi, the clue is in the name. You ask any doctor or physiologist about Pepsi, and they will tell you that that came from an original formula, a tonic, to cure a stomach condition called dyspepsia. Hence the name. And I even remember my mom, who's passed away now, but in, as a kid, she used to say that if you have a stomach upset, and I even remember her dad, so my grandfather, saying, if you've got an upset stomach, drink Coke. And the reason is, is because that generation inherited these stories, these myths about these products. It doesn't help your stomach. And the point is, is that they've taken out those illegal or those medicinal ingredients long, long time ago. And all there is left is story. So how is this relevant? Why is soda relevant to you? You're a SaaS platform. You are a lawyer. You are a government agency. You are a travel company. You are the world's biggest ex, whatever. Why has soda got anything to do with you? Because the key takeaway here about content and context, and I'll talk about how you can use these, 
in your communication is blind taste tests only work if you have blind customers. And people don't drink the soda. They drink the can. The can being the whole package, the story which frames your data. Now, if you take out a piece of paper, and there's a worksheet in my human communication playbook for this, but for the purposes of this podcast, take a piece of paper and draw a line down the middle. On the left side, put content. and On the right side, put context. So content is logic, product, the soda, the ingredients, branding. Context is emotion, story, the can, the whole social packaging, brand experience, not branding. Content is, for example, 60%, sorry, 67% of our customers prefer the taste of Pepsi. Context is Pepsi is a healthier drink because it uses less artificial sweetness. That's content and context. People don't buy content, they buy context. And importantly, within context, these are the benefits of your communication. Why should I buy this? You should buy this because it's healthier and it uses less artificial sweetness. However, that may not be enough. In advertising, they call it not the benefit, but the benefit of the benefit. And let me go one level deeper is that, okay, I'm interested in a healthier drink, but what's that benefit's benefit? The benefit is healthier drink, but the benefit of the benefit is ascribing to a specific lifestyle. And that is people like me do something like this, i.e., I see myself as this person, a professional. I see myself as having these values and I value, for example, my health and my relationships with people around me. And this helps me. That's the benefit of the benefit. So let's go back. Content, context. So much of business communication is about content. It's about this is what it does. This is how good it is. This is what we made. People don't care. That's like, okay, this is a drink containing sugar, caffeine, and caramel. How about it? People don't care about that. So what do they care about? You see, content is what you make for them, and context is what you mean to them. People care about context, and it's important that this is probably as relevant today as anywhere else in our history. I I give you an example. I want to take this idea of content and context and take you on a little bit of a journey. There is a great book. Um, I live in Singapore. I came to Singapore two years ago. I love traveler's tales. I traveled the world for four years myself with my family out of living out of suitcases. But you know, one thing I love more than anything is traveler's tales. I I'm hypnotized by traveler's tales. I love the stories of the Silk Road and the 1001 Arabian Nights and all that sort of mystery and myth and, you know, the hero's journey and the leadership stories. I love it all. And I think we all connect with it at some level. 
There's a great book about Singapore called Traveller's Tales of Old Singapore by Michael Wise. And what it is, is it compiles street scenes from travel journals of different travellers in the 18th and 19th century. Some of them are, for example, um, politicians. Some of them are just, you know, rich travellers of the day. Some of them are, you know, labourers. And they recall their stories about Singapore before Singapore was really a thing. It was really just an outpost. And there's a great... Um, sort of take away from this book about the stories of people in the old world of Singapore. And they talked about Chinese hawkers who sold goods imported from across the empire and Arabs who offloaded services at ports and the Klings, the name they used for South Indians, they sold fruit and nuts on the street corners and the Malays, um, you know, they carried goods across the cities on, on the city on their shoulders, on these sticks. And then you had the Hindu, who is what they were called at the time. They, they called on the wealthy landed gentry in their houses and they offered barbering and ear cleaning services for one dollar a month. And the reason why I'm telling you about this is because so much of the market of skill, for example, has been defined by this asymmetry. And what I mean by asymmetry is a control of information. So, for example, the reason why that Hindu or that street hawker isn't able to build a $50 million turbine engine is because they don't have access to technology and the skills and the capital. But today, that's changing. An Indian farmer could invent an ag tech solution worth billions of dollars. But without the knowledge of entrepreneurship and without the access to capital and without the access to mentorship and guides and a structure and a format and a process, what happens is, is that ag tech solution gets lost. And that's why over the last 200 years from the days of the Traveller's Tales of Singapore, you know, Silicon Valley has been the home of entrepreneurs and Germany had its engineers and London had its bankers. And that's the point, is that all of our lives have been defined by asymmetry, the skill markets and also products. Because products were defined by asymmetry. The reason why you had to consume this product is because that product brand had control over the market. And in the same way, if you're digging out of the ground some kind of raw material, your goal is not to share that with the world. Your goal is to build a fence around it. That's why if you look at the, you know, the raw material market, if you look at energy, you look at rare earth metals, these are the most protective, most defensive industries of all. And in many ways, competition has been defined. It's about protecting content. And yet what's happening now is a shift. You know, look at, for example, the hawker stalls, these food courts, which define Singapore and many places in Asia. And these open food courts, if you come to Singapore, you'll, you know, and hopefully when the pandemic is lifted, you will really experience Singaporean life through the food courts. You know, you can go to one stand and you can order um, South Indian dosa, my favorite. I love masala dosa and I love idli sambar for breakfast. That's my favorite breakfast. Or you can go to another one and you can have chicken rice, which is a very Singaporean dish. Or you can go to another one and you can get tea and coffee. Try the kopi si kosong or the kopio, which are the, the very sort of local 
variations of coffee and I love wherever I go in the world to sample different teas and coffees because to me that's a great way to uh, taste culture. Today, if you go to a hawker center in Singapore, what you'll find is all those stands lined up side to side as they have been for hundreds of years. But what you'll also find outside is delivery bikes. And not, re- not too long ago, I was at a hawker center and there's a delivery bike there. And on the back of the delivery bike, there are like three boxes, three colored boxes. One is Grab Eats, Grab being the ride-sharing platform here in uh, Southeast Asia. One is Uber Eats. We all know Uber. Uber still operates as Uber Eats here in Singapore, even though they're not now operating a taxi service. And Deliveroo, which is the London-based food delivery service. So you've got this same driver with three boxes. And interestingly, Grab Eats, and I think it's Deliveroo, are both green, One's dark green and one's a light green. And then Uber Eats is black. There's not really much of a brand difference between any of them. And the boxes are the same size. They're square cubed boxes. And inside the boxes is food from the same hawker stand. There's nothing stopping you ordering Grab Eats and the uh, masala dosa guy and same same option if you order uber eats the masala dosa guy you can get the same food from the same suppliers and you get the same delivery driver and this is the point is that people say to me well why are you telling me about soda because we don't sell soda well it's time to rethink folks this is the end of quality What do I mean by that? That quality being content. This is the end of that era. There was a time when I was a kid, I remember somebody who lived next door to us was a guy who fixed TVs. He was a TV repairman. He used to drive around in this flashy red sports car and he had a girlfriend and a wife. And he used to drive his girlfriend around in this flashy red sports car because he made a lot of money repairing TVs. And the point being is that we don't need TV repairmen anymore because most TVs just work. You know, in those old days, we had like an old British TV. I think it was Alba or Pi, some weird British brand. You know, it's when the Japanese came, they just wiped those brands out. Thank God they didn't work. And when was the last time your TV broke down? We have a sharp TV in our house. Many of you might have a Samsung or an LG. They just don't break down anymore, right? But in the old days, TVs broke down like every two weeks. You'd be watching the football match and it's gone. Then you had to phone up the TV repairman and he'll come around tomorrow. These guys were like locksmiths. They made a lot of money just by poking around the back and then flipping a switch. And there you go. There's like a week's wages for half an hour work. But we don't need them anymore. And in the same way, you look at delivery services like UPS and FedEx. They've got like 99.9x percent success rate. They're all quality. Every single car on the market today is quality. You remember, if you're old enough, like I'm nearly 50 now. I remember in the old days, cars broke down with regularity you know if you were to take a six to 12 hour road trip you had your fingers crossed that that thing didn't break down and then more times than not it broke down and you were stranded there by the side of the road waiting for the 
you know, the pickup guy to come and rescue you. That doesn't happen anymore. You just don't see those kind of incidences like you used to. Cars are reliable. You know, it took, for example, the Japanese and the Kaizen approach, Toyota management, you know, the elimination of failure and risk and what they called in the Toyota management system, muda, waste. That created, you know, 99.99x percent quality. And now all the cars, even Korean cars and, you know, who copied the Japanese, they have 99.9% quality. So people don't buy cars anymore on the basis of the fact that it won't break down. They buy it for another reason, context. So when you say to me, we don't sell soda, well, the reality is, is that there's a shift. Something strange is happening. You know, everything that they taught you in business school, about competition is based like those Kling vendors and those Hindus and those Chinese hawkers. It's all based on asymmetry. Asymmetry is this concept that somebody has control of information that you do not have. Think about lawyers, for example. Lawyers have always had access to information that you can't have and you maybe can't have it legally. And doctors had access to qualifications that others don't. And auto manufacturers had access to material that others didn't. And media has access to trust that others don't. But that's changed. Just because you're a journalist doesn't mean we trust you anymore. Just because you can write doesn't mean we trust you anymore. Just because you can tweet doesn't mean we trust you anymore. Miners had access to land that others didn't. And Coke had access to distribution that others didn't. And all of that is changing in the same way that no longer the best engineers come from Germany and the best bankers come from London and the best startups come from Silicon Valley. Skill asymmetry is changing. The CEOs of Google and Microsoft, two of the largest companies in the world, are both Indian. You know, China has more female billionaires than any country on the planet. And think about AI. So AI, software, and data engineers are found in greater numbers in India and China than in the Valley. And McKinsey said recently in a report that it's entirely feasible that China will have 10 to 12 Silicon Valleys of its own in the next 10 years. So let's bring that back to those delivery guys. Everybody can play. And even if you think about AI, those guys are using the same algorithms. When you order your masala dosa from that stall, they're using the same algorithm. They've got all got access to the same engineers and the same technology. You know, there was a time when your competition sold software on CDs, right? And you were the only cloud provider. Now, every company is the cloud. Every company has access to the same products, skills, logistics, AI, and customers. Quality content is no longer a barrier to entry like it used to be. Everybody produces quality content now. And I think back, there is that famous quip when a journalist asks 
Queen lead singer Freddie Mercury to justify his private life because rumors were abound. And Freddie Mercury famously responded, darling, I'm doing everything with everybody. And today we have that same platform promiscuity. Everything becomes soda. In an asymmetrical world, we have competition. Companies can compete by controlling access to resources. However, in a symmetrical world, we have hyper-competition. Companies compete by controlling access to customer attention. And what is customer attention? Story. It's context. It's why this means something to me. Every barrier to entry that they taught us in business school, every aspect of quality and content is being wiped out. And the only thing left worth competing for, worth our time, is people and their stories. And if you're not telling stories, you're not making a difference. We're all in the soda business now.